If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. And you are listening to our WOKV District 4 Spotlight as we ever approach the Florida primary. Joining me in studio today is Mr. Stephen Kaufman. Stephen, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in. And uh, first question I always want to start with is we've got a pretty crowded Republican field. And so what made you want to jump into the race now as Congressman Crenshaw retires? Well, several things. First, uh, if I'm, I'm interviewing with the voters for a job on the board of directors of the greatest creation of God and man, uh, you, the United States of America. It's the board of directors of America. And uh, if, if you think you can do the job and you have an opportunity to do it, who wouldn't want to jump at that? And then I looked at, uh, I looked at who was running, and they're all great, accomplished patriots. I have respect for all of them. Um, but the, I looked at them and said... Who can relate to me? Who can relate to the small business person who's been working in the real economy for 25 years, trying to grow the business, trying to survive in the Obama economy? And who's the veteran? There are no veterans running. I'm the only one who's worn the uniform, 27-year naval officer. And uh, the number of veterans serving in Congress is approaching an all-time low. And this is the group that declares war. So uh, this is serious. And I looked at that. I'm a long shot, I know. I don't have the name recognition or the money of the big guys. But uh, we live in the area that has the largest concentration of veterans in all of Florida. Veterans get behind me. I can win this. When you mentioned that concentration of veterans and being a veteran yourself, you just said 27 years of service. One of the issues that's come up in recent months has been the VA and veterans not being able to get to their doctors in a reasonably timely fashion or in some cases not even getting there at all. Uh, We've seen calls for reform on both sides. How do we go about reforming the VA so that way we ensure our vets get the best care possible when they come home? So there are some bills going through Congress right now. Senator McCain has one that I like. Um, The big thing is, uh, so I've experienced the VA. You know, what I've noticed is the people in the VA are are great people. It's the systems they're dealing with. They're dealing with antiquated systems. So um, part of the approach needs to be what Senator McCain's working on, which is the access to care. The other approach that I haven't heard too many people talk about is how do we modernize the whole VA system? Um, It it clearly wasn't ready for the influx of uh, Iraqi uh, freedom and uh, enduring freedom uh, veterans. And so there's a there's a system monetization that's that's separate from the people because the people are trying to do the best they can. I have a lot of respect for the physicians and staff. They're great people. It's just they're hamstrung by a bureaucracy and a system. And so uh, when I get in there, that's one of the things I'll be focusing on. And so kind of sticking with the military angle now, going to a more active conflict, we've seen the the rise of the Islamic State in both Iraq and Syria. First, I guess I want to talk about the campaign itself. So far, President Obama, we're actually approaching the two-year mark where we've launched this air campaign in both Iraq and Syria. And we have special forces on the ground throughout the region, both advising the military and taking a fighting role itself. Uh, The Pentagon out with numbers today that says that they've taken 45,000 combatants off the field in recent weeks. But I guess in terms of President Obama's ISIS strategy and what our military has been doing so far, what do you think about it? How do you think the fight is going? And if there's anything you would change, what would that be? Oh, my goodness. The whole whole creation of ISIS is uh, a a result of failed uh, the failed policy of President Obama and his advisors. It wouldn't even have happened. We won Iraq. Um, and, and then they decided for campaign purposes, the last, uh, the 2012 election, so they could say they got out of Iraq, uh, they pulled too many troops out. That's, that was the genesis of ISIS. 
we need to declare war. That's what Congress does, and that's what we need to do. And I've been saying that on the campaign trail. We need to declare war. And I, I went back in history to 9-11, and why did we not declare war on radical Islam there? And uh, one of the reasons I believe is that uh, President Bush did not want the narrative to be that America's at war with Islam. We've been going through this now. We know we're not at war with Islam. We're at war with radical Islam. And so what I've been saying on the campaign trail is, let's let's take Islam out of it. We're at war with radical haters. And w- let's make a definition. If you do, if you come from this area, if you do these things, if you are pursuing the death of our civilization, you are a radical hater, and we are at war with radical haters. But we need a declaration of war, and we need to to take this fight seriously. And our civilian leaders need to educate the public about what it means to be at war. And that's never been done. And another aspect of that is the homegrown terror angle. We've really seen that in Europe in, in recent months with attacks in Paris and Brussels and Nice. And I know the fear of the United States of this type of homegrown attack is definitely on people's minds. How do we go about stopping this homegrown terror? It's, it's intel. It's about intel. It's about monitoring networks, both uh, social media and human uh, intel with uh, intelligence officers in the field that unfortunately have been threatened thanks to uh, the Democratic Party's nominee and her emails. We've actually lost intel officers because of that. And um, uh, so there's a whole range of tools that are available to us, but we've, we've got to get focused on it. And the other thing is, All of us need to, you know, there's the, if you see something, say something. Almost all of these uh, recent attacks, they they interviewed neighbors, they interviewed friends, and they all said, oh yeah, we noticed something was going on there. Uh, and, And a couple times they even said something. And, but nothing changed. So I want to add a third, see something, say something, do something. If you report it and nobody still does anything, do it again. Go to the next level, go over that person's head. Uh, we, you know, all of us are Americans. We want no more Americans to die. And, and, uh, and yet we know we've got this radical hatred among us. When we see somebody doing something, we need to take action. We need to show that responsibility. And a big aspect of all this fighting, obviously, with the civil war in Syria now going on for well over six years, we've seen the influx of refugees. Mm-hmm. And with in terms of President Obama, he wants to settle a number of them here in the United States. He set quotas for them, including here in Florida. On the same token, we've seen Governor Scott here in Florida and another of governors throughout the country call for a stay on these immigrants and these refugees until we can kind of clarify and process them a bit better. Where do you fall on that issue? It would be much better to help create safe areas overseas and not bring them here because our government has already told us, they've already said they cannot vet everybody properly. Okay, if they can't, then, then you know, if it's one in 10, that, that's a huge number when you're, you're getting so many thousands in. So let's create safe areas in Syria, in the Middle East, um, that's why I like future President Trump. I believe he will ho- hold Middle Eastern countries' feet to the fire and say, look, you've got to step up here and help us create a safe area that we can put some of these refugees in so we don't have to deal with it. I think we need to focus on keeping folks there. I know it sounds harsh, uh, but we're responsible for protecting our homeland. 
And and that's the most important thing right now. You mentioned future President Trump, and obviously Donald Trump has been quite the force all across this election season, not playing by many of the typical political norms, but regardless, is the Republican nominee for president. You know, how do you feel Donald Trump has shifted the Republican Party, and do you think this is a going in a good direction? Oh, I, I think it's a great it's a great direction. Uh, look at how many new people he's brought into the party. He earned more votes than uh, I, I don't have the exact statistic, but I think it's the last three Republican nominees combined. Uh, he's he's opening that tent. We've talked for years about uh, making a Republican party that is a bigger tent. Donald Trump is actually doing it. Uh, so I'm an enthusiastic supporter of his. Uh, it, it's time to get behind him. And uh, and he's he's changing. Yes, the Republican Party is changing. But you know what? It needed to change. Uh, up until now, it was dying. It was literally dying demographically. He is reinvigorating it. And uh, I'm ready to follow his leadership. So one big issue that Trump has really spotlighted, especially early on his campaign, but really that is a bipartisan issue, has been immigration reform. We've seen calls for it on both sides of the aisle. We know President Obama has his executive actions. They were put on hold by the Supreme Court. Donald Trump, on the other hand, has gone as far as building the wall across the Mexican border. You know, Where do you fall on all this, and what do you think is the best way to create comprehensive immigration reform? So I support uh, Mr. Trump's immigration plan. First of all, the wall, I'm a PR guy. Uh, whether the wall works or not, it is a great symbol. You don't have a country without borders, right? Borders are one of the things that create a country. The wall will say, will say well, our borders matter. So, and hopefully it works. I, I want to see a physical wall. I think that's very important. He's run on that. I believe if he gets elected, it will be there. But in the, he's got a whole, that's the thing that gets uh, the most focus, but he's got a whole program. You know, our visa program is, is a joke. We, we issue visas and then there's never follow-up to see if people have overstayed their visa. That actually, from what I've learned, is the bigger uh, issue here. So we need, we need to enforce the current law so that we actually follow up on visas, when people overstay, we get rid of them, and um, and we take this immigration seriously. Now, uh, many of my uh, colleagues in the race uh, stop there, and it becomes like a talk radio. Well, that's the that's the solution. No, at some point, we need to actually roll up our sleeves and put together a plan because the status quo cannot work. And that's where I understand that Republicans alone can't fix this. We're going to have to work across the aisle, and I'm ready to work across the aisle um, to to come up with a plan that people can live with. Not everybody, in fact, if nobody's happy, then we know the plan is good because that's compromise. And that's what this country was founded on. And bringing it back to Florida, an issue that we've seen bipartisan calls for is the Zika virus. Governor Scott, Senators Rubio and Nelson all calling for funding. We know Congress as of now hasn't passed any funding at this time. How urgent do you think it is to get out in front of the Zika virus to kind of keep the spread contained as Florida deals with over 400 cases now? I think we're already behind the eight ball now. You know, we've got cases, uh, we're, we're in damage control mode. The uh, Governor Scott's already declared states of emergency in different places. So um, uh, the politics played with that is just another symptom of what's wrong in Washington. It's why it's why our campaign's very different. Um, I'm not doing the politics as usual. Uh, I'm not taking special interest money, no PAC money, only individual contributions, because I want to take a different 
I, I want to go to Washington and get things done. And I understand to do that, you, you can't be beholden to any group, and you've got to be willing to work across the aisle. Uh, I saw that when I was growing up. I had the honor of being a congressional page when I was growing up, and my sponsor at the time, some of his best friends were Democrats. And they'd go out to dinner, and they'd, they'd, they'd socialize together. And what I'm reading now is none of that happens in Washington. And it's sad because... You know, in the final analysis, we're Americans. We're not Democrats. We're not Republicans. We're Americans. And once you take the solemn oath and you get elected, your job is to work for all Americans. And it means working with your colleagues across the aisle. So you talked about being a congressional page there as part of your experience. You know, how did that kind of cultivate your political interest? Well, it was a once in a lifetime experience. Uh, you know, I, my family hoped that I would go and 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 get disgusted by everything, uh, but I didn't. I didn't. I uh, what I saw were uh, you know men and women, young and old, uh, with the same faults, same ambitions, same hopes and dreams that you and I have, but they were stepping up to try and make a difference. And I had immense respect for them. Yeah, I saw some things that uh, when I get elected, I definitely won't do. But I saw some folks who just work their butts off. And, uh, and, and I hope to emulate them uh, because it was inspiring. So on a bit of a lighter note, kind of bringing it back here to Florida a bit, we've seen tremendous growth both here in Northeast Florida and really throughout the state. Uh, there was a, a survey done by Forbes the other day that came out that found that Tampa is the most attractive destination for people moving. Jacksonville right behind it at number two. We've seen jobs be such a big part of Governor Scott's time as he's been serving as governor since getting elected back in 2010. I guess, you know, how are we going to continue to improve the economy both across the country, but really here in Florida, how will you fight for that on a congressional level? So uh, I'm running for two reasons. One, because I'm concerned about the military and the threat from ISIS. And the other is uh, because of the economy. And if you hear me on the campaign trail, I start every talk with America works thanks to business. And when you stop and think about that, you realize you, you can't argue that nothing would get done. Jobs wouldn't get or uh, roads wouldn't get built. Laws couldn't be enforced. Nothing could get done without the jobs, incomes and taxes that are generated by American business. And yet over the last almost eight years, 80,000 new pages a year of regulations has affected, has come down on business, including my little marketing firm here in Jacksonville. So when I go to Washington, the things I'm going to be working on is trying to roll back those regulations, um, taking control of the bureaucracy that has just engulfed us and is strangling even firms my size. It's, it's, uh, there's a whole generation of people who think that the economy right now is as good as it gets. Those of us who have been in business a long time know that is so false and that business is just waiting to be unleashed. And And I believe future President Trump will help unleash the potential of this economy, and I want to help him. So another issue that's come up in recent months, especially that really hit the here in Florida a bit, the poll shooting, 50-plus people killed in Orlando. Uh, we've seen a number of mass shooting incidents across the United States in recent years. Democrats calling for gun control, Republicans taking a bit of a different focus on mental health. But at the same time, I think both sides have agreed that something needs to be done about this. Where do you fall on that debate? I'm uh, I am an ardent Second Amendment uh, uh, representative or will be when I get elected. I firmly believe that our founding fathers um, included the Second Amendment because um, they knew that the first thing tyrants do is seize the weapons. And uh, I, I believe that in our history, we've probably had presidents that wanted to stay a little longer than they were expected to, but they knew they couldn't 
because um, because they knew we were armed. And uh, I believe it's the protector of our freedom. Uh, and and so, uh, but we have a mental health issue, a uh, huge issue. Um, as, a, as a strong Second Amendment person, you can't say you're for gun rights and turn your back on mental health. We've got a mental health system that's in crisis. There's a bill right now, uh, Congressman Murphy from Pennsylvania is trying to reform uh, the, the mental health system. Uh, I, I didn't realize this, but I guess in the 1950s, we really had a mental health system with mental health hospitals. They got stigmatized. And what's happened is our mental health cases are now essentially in the jail. Um, and and that's, uh, that's not how it should be. Um, I've got personal experience with some mental health issues in my own family. Um, so I know that um, I, I can't be a, a Second Amendment guy without being a strong mental health guy. And so that will be uh, what I'll be working on. I don't know that government has all the answers. What I know is government's got to get out of the way if there, if there are good answers that the healthcare community uh, is offering. We need to foster that. We need to destigmatize mental health and, and focus on it uh, because that is where the solution is. Firmly believe that. So as we begin to wind down our conversation here, I always like to end it on this note. Like I said earlier in the, our conversation, a very crowded Republican field as we get closer and closer to this primary on August 30th. And I know you mentioned all of these guys. I believe you do qualify them as patriots or describe them as patriots, I should say. But what makes you uniquely qualified to represent District 4 here in Florida? Well, I, I appreciate that question very much. I believe I'm the only candidate who's bringing the complete package, um, small business experience. And in a marketing firm such as mine, I've worked with some of the largest companies, International Construction Link, Balfour Beatty, and New York Life and Northwestern Mutual, and then some of the smallest, a one-man paint operation, a little wine store in St. Augustine. Every time I work with these companies, I learn of the challenges they're facing, and I get to help them overcome those. So I bring that, and then I'm the only candidate that brings the military experience, brings the experience of fighting for our bases. I've been on the Jack's Chambers Military Issues Committee for 25 years. I've gone to Washington lobby on behalf of our bases, and Mayport is at risk. The Secretary of the Navy recently said he wants another base realignment enclosure, BRAC, and he wants every base to be on the table. And Mayport is a shell of what it was just a few years ago. And everybody says, oh, there's no way that that would happen. The Navy would never bring Mayport to a BRAC. You know what? When we lost Cecil Field, the Navy didn't bring Cecil Field to the BRAC. The, the BRAC commission reached out and grabbed it in 93, 95. I was there. I remember. We fought for it. We lost. I want to get ahead of that. That's why our campaign uh, uh, launched an initiative uh, called Mord at Mayport, mordatmayport.com. And uh, I, I hope folks sign up if they want to get involved. I'm not being chicken little. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But we need to start now educating uh, Navy and defense leaders about the strategic significance of Mayport. It's in the national interest. It's also in our interest, but we need to educate the decision makers that Mayport needs to stay right where it is. And you've been listening to the WOKV District 4 Spotlight. Again, my name is Kevin Rafuse. I want to thank Mr. Steve Coffin for joining me in studio today. Steve, thanks for your time. Oh, thanks so much. This was great. I appreciate it. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com.